welcome to The Practical Prophetic, where prophetic ministry is made practical. I'm Beth Wingate, I'm your host, and welcome to the podcast. On our podcast today, we have an episode of Prophetic History, and today we are going to talk about a man called Mr. Pentecost. His name is David Duplessis, and he was born in South Africa around the turn of the century. But let me give you his history, and then I want to go through his story. And today I have a few sound clips in his own voice. He died in 1987, and he is someone who is a key person in today's modern Christianity, and he definitely has a place in history. But he came out of the middle of nowhere, (laughs) and one prophecy from the Lord changed his life. And so I want to hone in for just a minute on the value of prophecy. And sometimes when you're given a personal word from the Lord or an encouraging word from the, from the Lord, and then the Lord speaks and confirms that to you, and then how that can change an entire world. And so I'm very excited to share this story with you, and I've sort of immersed myself in his history, and I, I hope that uh, you will enjoy this episode. So we're going to go back to South Africa around the turn of the century. And at the turn of the century, they had South Africa had just come out of what was called the Boer Wars. This was uh, wars between the English who had been embedded there for quite some time and then African settlers who would come, uh, you know, down into South Africa because it was basically uh, wilderness at this point, vast stretches of land. And there was uh, a lot of tribal warfares, war over language, over culture. And so uh, this place had been just filled with violence for years. And there was a man who had uh, a son, his firstborn son, 1905. They were descendants of French Huguenots. And we can talk about the Huguenots another time. We may do a whole episode at some point on that. But the French Huguenots were basically persecuted Christians who uh, were dispersed all over the, the world, and they had a huge impact on Christianity, and they actually influenced and financed a lot of the founding fathers in the American Revolutionary War. So that's an interesting study also. But this family, the Duplessis family, in 1905 had a son, February 7th, named David Johannes Duplessis. And he was born into this family, and they, his father was a carpenter, but then the family becomes missionaries. And while they are there, after his father has fought in the Boer War, which, by the way, you didn't have a choice back in those days. You were conscripted into the army. Afterwards, though, his father and mother evangelized the native people in South Africa. In fact, David Duplessis, around the time that he is 11 years old, through the relationships he had with the native peoples there, he talks about how that he had uh, some African uh, native-born spiritual parents who told him, you know the Bible, but we know Jesus. And he was actually, even though he was the son of missionaries who were there to teach them uh, the Bible, these people had a relationship with the Lord, and in turn, he was born again because of their 
efforts. And and just to give you a little history of how that could happen, uh, through British colonialism at this time, the British government would sponsor people to go and teach Native people English culture, and that included the Church of England and religion and the Bible, but it didn't always include a personal relationship with the Lord in the way that maybe you and I would think of that today, or I hope that you and I think about that today. So there was a lot of religion going on, and so this this was a sort of an interesting way that he came to really know the Lord, and so uh, this would mark his whole life. He's just an interesting person. And uh, before I go on with his story, though, I do want to tell you he is a very controversial figure within the church. And I want to stop and interject here that there's a tie-in today with some present controversies, and that is how we view history. Uh, Today, there's what's called presentism, and presentism means that you uh, judge history by today's standards. You know, oftentimes, we color history with the lens of our current views or maybe even our current prejudices or current biases and to a degree that that can be allowed but you can lack understanding of the culture of that day and so just to set the scene a little bit uh, religion in around the turn of the century and coming into the uh, the early 1900s was traditional it was formal uh, you had clear denominational lines and those lines did not cross they did not mix you know a lot of churches uh, you would go and you would have your name on the roll you know your name you would be a uh, you would have a letter of membership and you didn't cross and visit and go to other churches that was just unheard of and you certainly didn't cross denominational lines Uh, you know we hear phrases that people are you know born into being you know whatever the the term like you know i was born baptist or i was born presbyterian or cradle catholic you know things like that people were pretty set in the religion that their family had and and so you have to remember that there was a more rigid view in history at this time so when the family was around 1914 this family the Duplessis family, they end up joining and changing over to a Pentecostal church. Uh, they broke with the Church of England, and they end up joining a Pentecostal church, which is probably very controversial this time also. And uh, in 1916, the 11-year-old David Duplessis, he is born again through his native what he calls as his spiritual parents. And in 1918, at the age of 13, he receives the baptism in the Holy Spirit through this church. And then um, the next year, when he is a little bit older, he's a teenager now, he apprentices as a printer's apprentice for the, the local Pentecostal headquarters, you know, several miles away. And so that would, that was sort of his early life. He was set on that course and he's working for his church to distribute uh, pamphlets and take them into other language. He's grown up in South Africa, so he speaks several of the tribal dialects. And, and you'd have to understand there's a lot of tribalism in South Africa at this time, and there was resistance uh, to English. And so he was able to speak what's called Afrikaans and, and some of the other local dialects. And so that plays a role in him working at the printing press and being able to speak those other languages. 
in 1920, at the age of 16, he begins ministering in some of the outlying churches, especially those that had a lot of foreign language speakers. And so he began his ministry as a teenager. And then in 1928, David Duplissy is ordained by the Apostolic Faith Mission of South Africa. And by the way, that mission has ties to Azusa Street that had happened 20, uh, 10 years before that. So there's definitely a connection there as well. And then we see he's in that position as a minister. He's pastoring during his late teen years and early 20s. And then in 1935, he becomes the general secretary of his AFM, Apostolic Faith Mission denomination. And he begins to build relationships with three other churches, what he calls sister churches in the area. So very early on in David Duplessis' life, he is uh, grown up in church, basically. He, because of his unique place of where he was born, the culture he was born in, the political climate of the culture. He is unique in that he is uh, being able to assimilate into both worlds, that of the native people and the English uh, people. And so he's always sort of been this hybrid person that could sort of fit into any kind of culture. And you'll see that God, I believe, placed that gift in him and marks his life because of that. But in 1936... This is where it gets so interesting. Now, for us here in America, this is during the uh, Depression. This is before World War II, between the World Wars. In 1936, he has a prophetic encounter that will change the trajectory of his entire life. Everything will be shifted on one encounter that he has uh, prophetically with the Holy Spirit. And this is where things really take off and get interesting. And I just want to hone in real quick. So when I say prophecy, when I say prophetic word, I'm going back to that word Naba that we've been talking about so many times. And there's a whole episode on Naba if you want to go listen to that. But basically, in the Bible, whenever it says the word prophesying or prophecy, you take that to the Hebrew root word, and that word means inspired of the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about how that Jesus said to the disciples when Peter had the revelation of who, who Jesus was, that flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but by my spirit. Now, and blessed are you that the gates of hell upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the, and the rock is the revealed word of God. It's not Peter. Peter is not the rock. The rock is the revealed word of God. And so I believe David Duplessis had this kind of experience in 1936. So he's the head of this denomination, this small denomination in South Africa. He's been pastoring, and he invites speakers, and that's part of his job. And so uh, during this time, they were having a meeting of their denomination, like their annual uh, conference that they would have for their pastors and their churches and their church leaders. And so he invites an elderly Smith 
Wigglesworth at this time. Now, Wigglesworth has been well-known. He's a British evangelist. He's been in America. He's been all over Europe. Uh, And he was a Pentecostal charismatic leader, and he was known for faith, his message on faith. And he was considered, I guess you would call him a faith healer. And uh, he has an amazing life, an amazing story. And uh, Wigglesworth is well into his 70s at this time. And so he's invited to be like the keynote speaker. And Duplissy is the head of the AFM denomination. And so he is there to meet Wigglesworth at the train station. He will be the one taking him into his house to stay. And then Duplissy was his translator. So they would go to you know, the convention or the churches and Wigglesworth would say some phrases in English and then Duplissy would translate that into Afrikaans for the uh, people who were there. And so that was the plan. He was the interpreter. And uh, Duplissy said that his house was about 10 miles away from his, roughly from his office. And so he had been with Wigglesworth. They, he had been there. He was scheduled to be there, I think, for a couple of weeks. And uh, so he leaves, Duplissy leaves the house where Wigglesworth is, his home, and he goes back to his office to do some work. And uh, this is where I want to play a clip in his own voice because this story is just amazing. But he's going to have an encounter with uh, Smith Wigglesworth who will give him a prophecy that will change the whole course of his life. And this is just a fascinating just fascinating. So this is about a five-minute clip or so, and I'm going to let you listen to this because it's in uh, Duplissy's own voice not long before he passed away, and he's actually on uh, the TBN channel with Paul and Jan Crouch. They're doing an interview with him you know, many years later, and he's retelling this moment in his life. So let's take a listen. But uh, I was his interpreter. I accompanied him in meetings. And there, one morning, he knew where my office was. I was living 12 miles away, and he was in staying with us in the home. And uh, here he burst into the office without knocking, just came in and looked me straight in the eyes and said, Come out there. And, well, he's an older man than I am. Meekly, I came out, and he put his hands on my shoulders, pushed me up against the wall, and said, The Lord has sent me to tell you these things. And I was against the wall. I knew who he was talking to, (laughs) not somebody behind me. And he said, He showed me visions. If it was words, I couldn't remember them, but the visions I saw. He is going to do a new thing And there is a new wave of the Holy Spirit to come upon the earth. And it will not be an extension of the Pentecostal movement. It will be manifested through the old nine denominations. And you know, everything he said was what we didn't believe in or didn't teach at all. To me, this was a strange approach. But in the end, he said, and now the reason why I've come, I have to warn you that God intends to use you in this field of the old denominations. He wants to send you to them and use you. And if you remain faithful and humble, 
you will see the greatest events in all Christian history, far, far, far greater than anything that had happened in the world before. All this was almost frightening now. And uh, suddenly he prayed and he said, uh, uh, do you get airsick? I said, never been there. Do you get seasick? I said, never been on the sea. Well, he says, you will travel more than most men. And he started praying, Lord, you showed me how much this man will travel. I pray that he never gets sick when he's on traveling for you. He says, and he told the Lord, he says, it's bad to get sick at home, but it's a lot worse when you're traveling. And uh, then he stopped and didn't say goodbye or anything, just walked out and closed the door. I sat down and I, I remember the first thing I said, Lord, what are you doing to me? I was so happy here. Africa for Jesus and Jesus for Africa was my aim. I didn't know that I'd have to travel the world. I didn't know that I would have to go to the old line denominations. And uh, I said, Lord, help me. Give me grace. And let me know your will very clearly. Knock at the door. Come in, I said. In walks Weatherwell. Good morning, Brother Duplessis. How are you? I said, puzzled. Puzzled? <laughs> yes, I said. You came in here and you didn't greet me. You didn't say. You just started prophesying. Well, he says, I've delivered the message. Did you hear the Lord said to a prophet, speak to no man on the way? I didn't speak to Anna. I didn't speak to the fellows in the car. I didn't speak to you. I didn't discuss anything with you. I just delivered the message. You heard it. Yes, but I said, I can't do what prophets tell me. He says, that's wisdom. Don't listen to prophets. The Lord will guide you. Hmm. And besides, he says, I did not give you any orders. I only warned you of what God will do hmm. with you and through you. And then he uh, started again asking questions. Hmm. And I told him my, my position, and I said, I don't understand this. But I said, I am committed to do whatever he says, which I learned originally in 1916 when the Lord saved me. I learned from Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the wedding of Cana. I wanted, as a boy, saw the Africans do miracles that I'd never seen before. And so I thought, Lord, I want to do miracles too. How do I do it? Well, he says, always begin at the beginning. And I took beginning for the key word, and the first word beginning, in the beginning God created. And I saw the miracle that he did. Look, one after another, by speech. I saw that miracles come by speech. And I thought, well, now that's wonderful. Then I ended up with, uh, in, in John's Gospel, the second chapter, this was the beginning of miracles for Jesus. Now, how did he do it? I then saw that he did not do it by himself. He began there immediately to give orders to the uh, to the servants there. And Mary said to them, whatsoever he says, do it. And 
I came to the conclusion that's a recipe to do miracles. So that was David Duplessis in an interview in 1936. Well, the following year, he gets invited to America to come speak at the Assemblies of God's General Council meeting in Memphis, Tennessee. There, they discuss uh, the benefits of meeting Pentecostal leaders from London and other nations. And near the end of the conversation, a man named Donald Gee, who, by the way, is very instrumental in the Welsh revival that had happened uh, a few years before that and had spread the Pentecostal experience all over Europe and really all over the world. He had decided that David Duplessis should become the secretary of such meetings should it be formed. So in 1938, a conference was held in Stockholm of Pentecostal leaders, and uh, it was called the International Pentecostal Movement. And so at that meeting, a man named T.B. Barrett actually prophesied the coming of World War II at that meeting. That's just a little side note. But in 1947, Guy and Duplessis worked to promote cooperation among Pentecostal leaders. And so they form the first Pentecostal, or they begin organizing the first Pentecostal World Conference. Now, due to the war, the outbreak of World War II, uh, this had to be held up until 1947. Uh, This also happened to be the same year that Smith Wigglesworth Dies Now, something that may have not been in the recording, Smith Wigglesworth, when he prophesied to Duplessis at his office that day, he tells him that uh, your ministry, uh, he won't live to see Duplessis' ministry. It won't happen until after Wigglesworth dies. And so uh, this is all taking place in 1947. Um, By the way, at that first conference in 1947, this is some of the things that were recorded as being uh, preached by David Duplessis. He says here, he quotes out of Matthew 3, 11 and 12, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. God had shown David Duplessis that one cannot grow wheat without chaff, and God would remove and burn it with the refining fire of the Holy Spirit. And it was during this time that he began to emphasize not only the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but he wanted to really emphasize the baptizer. And so this becomes sort of uh, his one of his key themes or messages, even though he was known for being a, a Pentecostal, he preached the baptizer, that the emphasis not on baptism, but the baptizer. And so in 1948, he was with the head of, uh, of the Church of God Missions Department, a man named Paul Walker. They were driving uh, in West Virginia. And around 3 a.m., they crashed uh, with a train at a rail crossing. Uh, You know, back then and probably the 40s, they didn't always have crossing gates. And so they didn't see the train and they have a, a terrible car accident with this train. Out of this, though, 
Out of this accident comes some amazing things. It was during this time that the Pentecostal Fellowship of North America was born, and their first action as a as a group was to to send uh, David Duplessis some money while he was recovering. He was in the hospital for months, and uh, they paid him some money to just you know to help him earn a living while he was uh, injured. And he's able to save up $1,000 and bring his wife to America. And so they were able in the 40s and late 40s, 1948, their family to come. In fact, he organized the first PWC or Pentecostal Fellowship of North America meeting from his hospital bed. And this fulfilled the prophecy that uh, Wigglesworth had given to him nine years earlier Uh, And that's when it begins to come to pass. By the way, it is not lost on me that the birth of integrating the full gospel into the church also coincided with the year 1948 when Israel becomes a nation. By the way, 1948 is full of amazing things uh, in church history, uh, so many things that happen in church history during this time. It was also during this time that Lee College in Cleveland, Tennessee, the Church of God College, they invite him to, uh, when he's better, to come and be a professor at their college. This enabled him to get a visa to stay in the States. And uh, with the help of his students, he was able to organize the PWC all the way into, which is, by the way, the Pentecostal World Conference. And he's able to uh, organize that in London as well through the help of raising money and communication with his students. And I'm going to play one more clip. This is a very short, you know, one or two minute video. But this is a later, another interview with him where he talks about these things. He uh, also, during this time, gets his credentials from the Assemblies of God. So he's also unique in that you got to remember the culture of this time. There's not a lot of crossing denominational lines, even among Pentecostals. And so he was in, he had a foot in the Church of God world. He has a foot in the Assemblies of God world. He has a foot, you know, in this apostolic faith mission. He has a foot, you know, he just, he just is. Very interesting the way that he is accepted in so many different worlds. He's just so unique in that way. Smith Wigglesworth in 1936 gives him this prophecy. And several years have passed. Wigglesworth has just died. I'm going to share another video clip from a different interview where he talks about this. But before I do, I want to stress this one point. In the prophecy Wigglesworth had given him, he told him that there was going to emerge a movement, a movement of the full gospel, and that he was going to take that message to leaders. You know, he was so misunderstood, at the, especially early in his ministry, because he wasn't at this point exactly a preacher. He wasn't exactly an evangelist. He is a speaker oftentimes, but God just sort of places him in the church world with leaders of, of all different denominations. And he's just a church leader, and he uh, he's very true to himself and his beliefs and his mission to bring the full gospel message. But he's revered by many, hated by many, very misunderstood by many, but he's so likable, God places him 
in this position with all different types of leaders. And it's really around 1948 that things really accelerate for him when he enters uh, the, the church universities, so to speak. And that sort of brings some unique relationships. And it's going to put him on an entirely different path. But before I talk about those things, I want to play this second interview for you. This is a, just about a minute long clip. How long from the time Smith Wigglesworth gave you that prophetic word until you began to see this unfolding of your life? In 1948, I was lying in a hospital uh, after an automobile accident. I really live in America by accident. <laughs> and uh, that's how I came to settle here. No pun intended. Uh. <laughs> and uh, there, while I was lying there, I had nothing else to do, couldn't do anything else but listen to the Lord and talk to the Lord. Then he said to me, what Wigglesworth had warned you about is about to begin. Very near future. You must prepare to go to the leaders, to the top leaders of Christianity, wherever you find them. And uh, <clears throat> you must not be an evangelist, and you must bring this message to them. Well, I said, Lord, but they are dead, these churches. He said, well, but I never arranged for funerals. Raise the dead, I said. <laughs> And so that's a cute little interview clip from him. And that's exactly what he does. He just is one of these people that God placed around church leaders. And when I say church, I mean capital T church, meaning all of Christianity, all kinds of denominations at a time when that was really frowned upon. People stayed in their lane. You know, they stayed with their denomination. So uh, he's at Lee College in Cleveland in 1949. And then in 1952, he's invited to come to Stanford, Connecticut, and is the become the interim pastor at Stanford Gospel Tabernacle. And it is there that he makes some key relationships that he enters into. He develops a friendship with a man named Dr. John A. McKay, who was president of Princeton. Theological Seminary. Now, Dr. McKay will become a key figure at this time uh, because Dr. McKay is known as uh, someone who is pro-ecumenical, meaning he really believes in unity among denominations. He, he likes to find common ground with other church leaders and develop relationships of unity. Now, this was frowned on in a lot of ways because people were like, well, you're watering down the message, or how can you put your stamp of approval on what they believe? And this will cause problems for Duplissy at this time. Uh, this, Like I said, he was way ahead of his time. But it is through his relationship with McKay that he is invited to Germany to come to the World Conference of the International Missionary Council. And so there, he ends up talking with roughly 210 delegates. And it is through that meeting that he ends up speaking to 700 leaders of the church world, especially who lead third world churches and congregations. 
I'm going to play another small, just short little one minute clip where he talks about how he got his nickname, Mr. Pentecost. And he's talking about uh, he's been put in front of these world leaders, these world church leaders. And uh, Paul Crouch is going to ask him a question as a setup. And I'll just let you hear this clip real quick. Specifically, what was the message the Lord told you to bring to these leaders? Oh, he said, I must bring to them uh, what what I thought was the Pentecostal message, you know. But uh, I soon found out uh, to explain Pentecost is impossible. And so I said, Lord, how do I tell them? He says, don't talk about a baptism, talk about the baptizer. And that becomes his um, hallmark message. He talks about the baptizer and that's really how he gets the name mr pentecost and that's how people know him you know he said he would go to these meetings and there would be you know the cardinal and the vicar and you know all these titles and they would say and the pentecostal <laughs> and so he would uh, he wasn't attached to one particular church uh, he was sort of uh, in several, had his feet in several different denominations. But through his relationship with McKay out of Princeton Theological, he tags along with him, and uh, they want to ask him lots of questions. They're very fascinated and interested in him, and he picks up the title among these leaders as uh, Mr. Pentecost. Now, he said there was two ways that he changed his message during this time. One was that he emphasized Jesus as the baptizer, not necessarily emphasizing the baptism. He said that would be after they asked questions. But first he talked about Jesus as the baptizer. And the second thing he did is he began to talk about forgiveness. And he confessed how he had had wrong attitudes about other denominations and how he overcame them. And uh, this helped people acknowledge their own prejudice especially against other denominations. And so in 1954, he becomes a member and Pentecostal observer at the World Council of Churches. In fact, Duplessis said that in his autobiography called The Spirit Bade Me Go, he believed that God had commanded him to take the Pentecostal message to other denominations. And so he wrote this uh, recounting a meeting with other ecumenical leaders. He said, I could remember the days when I had wished I could have set my eyes upon such men to denounce their theology (laughs) and pray the judgment of God upon them for what I considered heresy and false doctrines. After a few introductory words, though, I suddenly felt a warm glow come over me. I knew this was the Holy Spirit taking over But what was he doing? What was he doing to me? Instead of the old harsh spirit of criticism and condemnation in my heart, I now felt such love and compassion for these ecclesiastical leaders that I would have rather died for them than pass sentence on them. He said love motivated him. And instead of finding fault, he began to find excuses for them. And so in 1962, um, this actually caused problems with him, with his uh, credentials, with the Assemblies of God. They actually get into uh, some of the leaders there, get into a dispute with him. He surrenders his preaching credentials. Of of course, now later they're going to be restored. And like I said, he was ahead of his time. He was a very controversial figure. But in 1964, at a meeting in Scotland, he meets a Catholic priest from Oxford 
who begins to ask him about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is really where his, his ministry to the Catholics really takes off. This man, this man that he met in Scotland, whose name was uh, Professor Bernard Leeming, he knew Pope John personally and arranged for David Duplessis to visit the Vatican. And so this is where things get interesting. So there he meets some important people in the Catholic Church, and then he meets Dr. Robert uh, Murray, who is all about promoting Christian unity with the Catholic Church. And um, they had been searching for a Pentecostal to ask questions of, and so <laughs> enter Duplessis. He is their their person who they can ask questions about Pentecostalism. And so Cardinal B is introduced to David Duplessis at this time, and he, uh, upon meeting him, he says, instead of hello, he says to Duplessis, uh, what did the Pentecostals want to say to Rome? <laughs> I thought that was interesting. And uh, betraying no emotion, you know, he just, he, he came right out with it. And Duplessis said, to make the Bible available to every Christian in the world in his own language. In fact, B was so taken that he goes directly with the Pope, and the Pope uh, will end up making a mandate at the Vatican Council in 1964 uh, about Bible translations and, and distributing Bibles all over the world. And so Duplessis was instrumental in a decision that the Pope makes. And they actually, through uh, Wycliffe translators, said in that year that the Catholic Church, uh, uh, they actually translated more Bibles than the, the, the rest of the Protestant Christian world. So it was really interesting. And in 1967, he becomes an influencer of the Catholic charismatic Renewal. In fact, you can Google the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. Uh, that's a whole separate conversation. But in 1967, a group of university Catholic bishops attend a worship service that's Protestant, and they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so Duplessis played a role in that also. In fact, he was frequently asked to be a speaker at Full Gospel Businessmen, conferences where he talked about a, a you know a, a whole host of topics but victorious living was a part of it forgiveness uh, tongues uh, casting out devils the whole full gospel message but he also talked about unity within the church capital t in 1972 he begins to work with some men who have a dialogue between Catholics and Pentecostals, which included Charismatics. And in 1974, a group of Catholic and Protestant editors issue a, issue a list of 11 shapers and shakers, is what they called it, of the Christian faith. Uh, Billy Graham was in that group, and then David Duplessis was listed among those top 11 world shakers. Uh, in 1976, he has a book called A Man called Mr. Pentecost, and he talks about how he got that name and how how that he was able to take the Pentecostal message to the entire church, especially the Catholic Church. And in 1977, he is finally able to meet the Pope, and the Pope, when he, Pope John, when he meets him, he says, so are you Mr. Pentecost? To which Duplessis says, I am. And he was able to take his message all the way 
to the Pope and to leaders of the of the Christian Church, the Pentecostal world, and so he he uh, he ends up making amends with uh, his credentials with the Assemblies of God. Like I said, he was just ahead of his time, and then later Fuller Theological Institute will name an entire center after him, the Duplicis Center. And so David Duplicis is one of these people who God used him in such a mighty way. He took him all the way to the top leaders of the Christian world, uh, to the Pope, and to all these people to share the message God had given him. And that was the full gospel message, the message of the baptizer. And so it all started, though, with a prophetic word as a translator for a traveling evangelist named Smith Wigglesworth. And then he becomes known all over the world as really a statesman on behalf of the Pentecostal and Charismatic movement. In fact, he's called the father of the Charismatic, even though he's known as Mr. Pentecost, he's the father of the Charismatic movement, one of those, along with men like John Wimber. And so David Duplessis will reach leaders all over the world. Now, how could you know he have imagined that would have happened in the 1930s in a little town outside of Cape Town, South Africa. You know, how could he have imagined how that would have come to pass and the fate that must have taken to believe and partner with the word that Wigglesworth had given him. And that's a, an amazing story. And so I just wanted to, uh, to leave this story of Pentecostal history with you on Mr. Pentecost. Have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll be informed next time I post. Thank you again and have a blessed day.